so this is our last week in the series Relational Vampires. And we've covered a lot of different people and a lot of different scenarios and how we should handle those scenarios. We've talked about needy people. We've talked about manipulative people. We've talked about critical people. That's what we talked about last week. Um, And we talked about also the importance of doing this type of series or thinking through these things this time of year because, I mean, let's just be honest. We're all going to interact with, live with, be with, right, eat with, go to parties with, experience things with these relational vampires. And we had some fun with the graphics and stuff, but at the end of the day, um, these are just extra grace required individuals, right? There's nothing necessarily wrong with them. We don't want to do that. We don't want to label anybody that way. But you know these individuals. You have them in your life, and I want you to stay looking up here. Don't look around. But there are just some people that are extra grace required. And we've talked about how we handle those people. And we've talked about the vision of our church. The vision of our church is to love God, love people, and to make a difference. And for those of you that aren't familiar with that, the reason the love God, love people, that actually comes from Jesus and the greatest commandment. When the Pharisees approached him, he said, hey, one of the Pharisees said, what's the greatest commandment, Jesus? They tried to trip him up. And he said, all right, so here's the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. He says, the second is just like it. He elevates the idea of loving and caring for those around us as just as important as loving God himself. So that is love God, love people in our vision. And then the part where we talk about making a difference in the Sermon on the Mount, right after Jesus gets through the Beatitudes, the very next thing he says is, you are the salt of the earth. You are the preservers of the good things of the earth. And then after that, he says, you are the light of the world. So we say here, we got to be salt and light. We got to preserve and lead the way in the darkness. We are going to make a difference in our communities. Just so you don't think that I just came up like a group of us got together and said, what would be cool to build a church around? I don't know. Love God, love people, make a difference. Like, no, we went to the scripture, somebody say amen, and determined what Jesus said and said, let's do that because he did it real good and we ain't ever going to do it as good as him. So we kind of went with that. And, and again, you've heard me say the first one's really easy. Love God's not all that difficult sometimes because, I mean, he's a loving God. And he first loved you and sent his son for you. So that's not all that difficult. We can wrap our heads around that. And then the last part of making a difference, I don't know any of us sitting in this room, because you're all amazing people, would want the place you leave, whether it's your workplace and maybe in a gathering with your family, hanging out with friends, I don't know any of us that would want to go to those places and leave that place worse than what we found it. We want to make a difference in a good way. We want that place to be better because we were there. And I know that because all of you are great people. You wouldn't be sitting here if you weren't. But it's that, that other one, that love people part that just sometimes trips us up. And if we're honest, it trips all Christians up. It's nothing special to us. It's just simply it's difficult to love thy neighbor. I think that's why Jesus consistently talked about doing that. He constantly gave examples over and over and over again of that. And remember, the question that we try to ask as we're working through this Relational Vampire series and bringing it in for a close today is not how do we deal with people. That's, that's, a, that's a secular thing. That's an easy outside, not a Christian thing. That's just a way that people think. What we want to ask is how do we love those people well? The extra grace required folks, how do we love and care for them well? Because that's what we're called to do, to love, not tolerate. 
And today we are going to talk about one of the most frustrating individuals that we probably could run into. And these are the hypocritical people. In fact, when I said hypocritical people, somebody came into your mind. And you've thought about these people before. And we have secular examples of those, both in your workplace, in your school, and and maybe even in your family for people who don't believe. But let's be honest, some of the most frustrating things is when a Christian is a hypocrite, isn't it? Because here's the thing, we're all playing by the same book. We all know what's expected. Now, when it's not there, we all kind of have a general idea of what's good and what's right. But when it's a Christian, I mean, for those of you that study the, the word, you know what's good and what's not. You know when a Christian is being a hypocrite and they say one thing, but yet their behavior is an entirely different thing. And you know these people. You have them in your life, I'm sure. Uh, They're your buddy in church. They act normal. They come, they grab coffee, they pray when you give them opportunities, they go to your small group, all that stuff. But um, lo and behold, they have an unhealthy emotional relationship with somebody that's not their wife. Uh, these are the individuals who the, the kid says, yeah, no, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian kid, um, and they come to New Post students, and they claim Christ and everything like that, uh, but they party hard on the weekends and cheat on their tests throughout the week. They're the, they're the bosses in the office where they sit back and say, yeah, I'm a Christian, absolutely, I love Jesus, sure I do, I love Jesus, how about you? But then when it turns, what do they do? They treat their workers poorly. And they, they lack integrity on business deals. They're not honest. And you sit in the meeting and you go, you're a Christian. And you sat down and been like, I can't believe she's doing that. I can't believe he's doing that. These, this is your, um, if we could get a little personal, this is your auntie, you know. And it says, honey, you're supposed to love everybody. You're supposed to love everybody. Christ told us to love. But then she is rude to you at Thanksgiving because of what you decided to wear, what you didn't decide to wear, or because of one thing, one friend group you got, or from another friend group you decided to bring, or maybe because you brought a date to Thanksgiving, right? We run into these people. We experience them often, and they are some of the most frustrating people to deal with if we're just being honest. And here's the tension we have as Christians, again, is that we're called to love these people. That's what we're expected to do. Not expected to tolerate, deal with, or put up with. Those are not the correct terms. Those, you're not going to find those terms or the Greek equivalent in the New Testament. Paul doesn't write that way. Jesus doesn't speak that way. That's not the way that it works. And in fact, The word hypocrite comes from the Greek word hypocrates, which is a stage actor, and it's a person who wore a mask. And this is what they would do in the Greek theater. They would change the mask based on the emotion that they wanted to portray or the character they were playing. And a hypocrite today is no different. They change the way they look or they change their characteristics, they change the way they behave based on how they want people to perceive them. When they're in church, they're really good. They don't say anything bad. They don't do anything bad. They're not interested. They're just great. They are the most loving people in the world. But then when they get out to the workplace, they ain't loving anymore. As if somehow Christ stops at the door. And you've experienced this before. And if we're being completely honest, it's one of the most frustrating parts about dealing with Christians. We can just be honest for just A second. That's exactly what a hypocrite is. It's pretending. It's acting. It's claiming one thing yet doing another. So the question we have to ask is why are they acting that way? Why would somebody act that way? And the first thing we have to realize is maybe they're not Christians. 
Okay? Maybe they're not Christians. If they're not Christians, you, as a Christian, shouldn't care how they do that stuff. Now, individually in your business, of course. But as a Christian, you can't go to them and expect them to behave or understand what we follow because they don't claim the same faith that you do. That doesn't make any sense. That's like getting upset for somebody not rooting for your football team and they're not a fan of it. Like, what are you doing? You got to root for the Green Bay Packers. Like, and it's like, dude's a Steelers fan. Of course he's not. It's the same equivalent. Somebody has some Steelers in this joint, huh? <laughs> amen. Now, we don't amen that kind of stuff in here. <laughs> not the Steelers. Uh, but the, uh, totally unrelated, but the last pastor I worked with, I'm a Green Bay fan. He was a Chicago Bears fan. So you can imagine the banter that went back and forth between me and him in the NFL season. Totally unrelated, not to the message, but fun fact. The other thing we got to think about when we ask the question, why would people behave that way? So the first one is maybe they're just not Christians, at which point we wash our hands and we say, hey, they're not Christians, there's nothing, you know, hey, we just want to guide them. If we're friends with them, hey, you shouldn't behave that way, that's not very good. But we can't leverage God said, we can't leverage Jesus said, we can't leverage the Bible says, we can't go to those places because they don't believe the same thing we believe. So it's not fair for us to hold somebody to a standard that they never accepted. That's the great thing about Christianity. It's not forced upon you. You have to accept it. And the other thing, and, I, and we like to say this around here, they're new here. They're new here. They're new Christians. They don't know what's going on. They're junior in faith. They're just new here. They don't know what this whole faith thing is about. Sure, they confessed faith in Jesus. That's amazing. But they don't understand anything else. In fact, I, I was like that. We were like that. <laughs> so much so that when I became a Christian, your boy was still getting turned up on the weekends with his Marine friends. It didn't matter. We didn't slow down at all. We went to the Marine Corps ball, y'all. And those of you that know, know you know. And, and I was saved, okay, baptized in the blood of Jesus, washing down Jaeger, right? Like it wasn't, it wasn't a good thing, but I didn't know any better. I, I didn't understand that those things were bad, for me. I didn't understand how detrimental it was to do those types of things. And, and, and I also was saved and didn't treat people that well because I was a junior in my faith. I didn't have an understanding of it. I've told you guys at the time that I looked at somebody and said, I just don't effing like you, right? Like I, I, and I was saved. I just did for years. Thanks, sweetheart. <laughs> I'm a slow learner, okay? It was a very slow process, very slow process for me. But we were junior. You just didn't understand. In fact, the Apostle Paul addresses this point in his letter, his first letter, well, technically his second letter, to the church in Corinth. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 1, the Apostle talks about the importance of this. They're just new here. He says, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit infused with the Spirit, living biblically, living according to God's commandments or living according to what God would want. He said, I couldn't address you as people like that. But instead, but I had to address you as people who are still worldly, mere, mere infants in Christ. This church in Corinth, they were saved. They professed faith. Their practices were not their Christianity and their practices were not aligned with what Jesus taught. That didn't somehow make them not a Christian, 
They're just new here. They don't understand. It takes a little work. And those of you that have been part of this for any amount of time, you understand it's a journey. Okay? For any of our seasoned saints out here, you understand it's a journey. Okay? You're not going to get it right. You don't just automatically get baptized, dunked in the water, and boom, all your sin goes away. You just don't even feel like sinning anymore. You've got all the commandments figured out. You remember everything Jesus said. You got it. No more issues at all. If, if that was the case, if that was the case, we would be baptizing people all the time. It would, it would be like we would just offer it. Like, hey, you want to be a better husband? Come over here. We're going to baptize you. Right? We would, but that's not how it works. It doesn't somehow erase your memory and change your habits. That's not what happens. You have to do that in the process. In fact, it's called partnership with the Holy Spirit and what we call sanctification, big word. It's when you and God are working together to change who you are. And it's when he is working with you to make you look more like him. And it's a process. And somebody who's early in that process, do not expect them. Do not expect them to be able to keep up with some of the more senior saints of the faith. So we have to remember either maybe they're not a Christian or maybe they're just new here. Because remember, it's a journey. And here's the one that makes all of us angry they know better, yet they make excuses. They know better, yet they make excuses. These are the Christians that justify their behavior, these are the Christians that rationalize it. And you sit back and you go, wait a minute, I have read the same text you have read. I have heard the words of Jesus. You've heard what the preacher says. You've heard what we've talked about at small group. You've heard what we talked about in our serving teams. How can you believe that that behavior, that thing that you're doing or saying, how can you believe that that is actually correct? And, and these are the people that say things like, you know, when they're uh, addicted to pornography, they say, oh, it's not hurting anybody. And you come up and you go, hold on a second. No, Jesus straight said that if you look at another at a woman lustfully, then you've already committed adultery in your heart. So therefore, by that measure, you have committed a sin. And they go, oh, it's not a sin. I'm not hurting anybody. And then they say real disgusting things like, well, if my wife met my need, and then that's when you got to hold somebody like me back because we about to go to the town, boy. Start saying stupid stuff up in this joint like that. Or they say, no, 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 I'm not materialistic, right? I'm not materialistic. I just love nice things. And you're like, yeah, boy, but dude, everything you're doing and all your time and energy goes into getting more and more nice things. And you sit back and go, but I'm not materialistic. It's like, is that the most important thing in your life? Because if it is, then you're materialistic. You go, That's not a sin. Yeah, yeah, okay. Or they say, no, I don't have a problem. You're the problem. Right? If you didn't act this way, I wouldn't have said. If they didn't behave this way, I wouldn't respond. And these are the people that know better. They're hypocrites. They know better, but they simply make excuses. The number one complaint against Christians is that we are hypocrites. In fact, I've got a graph for you guys because I wanted to do some visual aid here, but... Uh, this was a study done by the Barna Group. So this is not some hyper left-wing thing, okay? This wasn't CNN that did this thing. This was Christians polling and taking care of themselves, seeing out where the church lands. There's a lot of different things on here, but the one I want you to pay attention to is right there, non-Christians, this red. And then this other blue one, all U.S. adults. Don't pay attention to the evangelicals or practicing Christians because, of course, we think we're awesome. 
But when you begin to sit back and say, what do people think about Christians? This was in 2019. They score super low on caring. Christians aren't caring. Christians aren't hopeful. Christians aren't friendly. They are narrow-minded. They absolutely are not encouraging. They're not generous. They're homophobic, puritanical, uptight, invasive, misogynistic. Some of them say racist, selfish, foolish, hurtful, unhappy. And then half of them don't even know what's going on. And so people sit back and go, why on earth do so many people feel that way? It's because of hypocritical Christians. It's because Christians sit here and claim one thing in these seats, and I love, and and don't get me wrong, I love these seats, and I've been there. I have been, I am the problem too. I have been that person. But according to the world, the thing we should be known by, loving God and loving those around us, being encouraging to one another, Jesus said, by this one command, you will know that I am, or that you are my follower. The world will know by the way you behave. We're missing the mark. Because non-Christians should feel like, look, I don't believe what they believe, but man, they're amazing people. Because that's what our Heavenly Father and what our, what our Lord has called us to do. The, again, the reason that we score so low on all these with non-Christians is because we've, some of us, some Christians, have become hypocrites. Because what has happened is somebody has ran into Christians that are narrow-minded. I didn't want that anyway. Christians that are narrow-minded, that aren't encouraging, that aren't generous, that are uptight, that are invasive. They've run into people that claim and say, I'm a Christian, but I behave in these ways. So the question is how do we make a difference there? How do we change that? How do we make the adjustment as a people of faith to where we are no longer seen this way? And it's very, very challenging, and it's difficult, and it's why people don't do it, and it's why it's not talked about much in the church. But boy, we're going there today. Somebody say amen. What we have got to realize is that people behave that way sometimes in the faith because nobody says anything to them. Because their church family or the people they're around and situations that they're in, nobody provides what we call or I call biblical confrontation. In fact, before we get started on all this, we've got to have prayerful confrontation. So absolutely, the verse I'm about to read is going to give all of us the expectation that when we see a brother or sister not living up to the walk of Christianity, that we confront them. But in order to do that, it has to be done prayerfully. Okay, that means you have to pray about it first. That doesn't mean this is not a free pass to go around correcting Christians everywhere. You don't have that authority. This is different. In Galatians, and as Paul's bringing his letter to Galatians to a close, he says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, and you who live by the Spirit, those who claim to be Christians that are still walking the walk, should restore that person gently. Notice he didn't say judge them and then restore them. 
He didn't say restore them shamefully. He didn't say put their stuff out on blast on social media and then restore them. He didn't say be rude to them. He didn't say ignore their situation and don't even try to understand where they're coming from. He didn't say any of that. He said restore that person gently. Do you know what the Greek word restore? Do you know what Greek word, uh, the meaning of the Greek word that they use there for restore? Do you know what it is? Restore. It's restore. Bring them back to center. That's our goal. Our goal as Christians is to see ourselves as the guide, not the judge. You are not the judge. Jesus is the judge. In fact, everybody say that with me. Jesus is the judge. Say it again. Jesus is the judge. We are simply the guide. And it's our responsibility to help those we are close in relationship with get back on track. Get back on track. And again, every confrontation should be taken before prayer, and you need to ask yourself this question. Why am I doing this? Am I doing this to get somebody to change their behavior because what they're doing is making me uncomfortable? Or is what they're doing actually putting them in a place where they're going to hurt other people or violate what God has called us to do? Why am I even considering talking or confronting this individual? Because your goal is not to be right. Your goal is to get somebody right with God. The rest of the verse, the apostle says, Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may be, you may also be tempted. Now, some people hear this and say, oh yeah, you don't want to go talking to somebody about a sin, and then before you know it, you're sinning the same way they are. That can happen. But really, I think the truth is he's talking about the sin of pride. Because the minute you set yourself up as the individual who can correct or confront another person in the faith, and then you have the Bible behind you, whoo, you got the weight of the world, right? And you could just go up and handle it. And the truth is that when you handle things that way, Paul tells us you got to be careful or you're going to be tempted. You're going to be tempted with pride. You're going to think that you're above reproach. You're going to think that your behavior is not correctable. And this, quite frankly, guys, is how we get mean Christians. They're not always wrong. Some of the times they correct and help people and things like that. They're not always wrong. You take what they say and you look biblically and you go, yeah, no, this is right. But it was mean because the whole point was not to restore gently. The whole point was to just get you to behave the way they want you to behave, and they have become prideful. So the question I always get when we talk about this is, Brandon, what on earth does that practically look like? How do I call a brother or sister out? How do I correct or gently restore somebody who's in the faith? How do I do that? Well, lucky for you and lucky for me, Jesus addresses this. He addresses this. In fact, what we're going to go over is what we do as a church is our conflict resolution. It's how we handle everything related to believers. Because remember, this is believer to believer. This is not believer to unbeliever. Okay? Jesus is talking believer to believer. That's why you see the words brothers and sisters. Okay? That doesn't mean you go and handle your biological brother if he doesn't believe. Okay? Brothers and sisters in the faith is what he's talking about. Jesus says this. He says, if your brother or sister sins... Go and point out their fault. Just between the two of you, if they listen to you, you've won them over. 
First, it's just you. You just go and talk to them. It's going to be the first thing I ask you if you come to me with a problem in the church. I'm just going to tell you that right up front. I just want to give you the go-ahead that if you come up and say, Brandon, you would not believe what this person said to me at church. I'm be like, did you talk to them? Because I'm not stepping in yet. And that's not the place of the pastor and the way it's supposed to go. That Jesus says, hey, for brothers and sisters, you just got an issue, you just simply go to them. You simply go and you handle the problem and you say, hey, man, hey, gal, this is what's up. You said this, it bothered me, or your behavior is making people feel A, B, C, and D, or what you're doing is, is affecting A, B, C, and D. And when you talk about it between the two of you and you two kind of work it out, you're good. Jesus says there it is. But the key phrase here is between the two of you. It implies a relationship. You don't get to go around correcting everybody, all right? You just don't need to be running around here. You're not going to see pastors do that. You're not going to see anybody else go around and be like, did you see that Christian over there? We better go tell her. She, her skirt is too short. We better go over there. I tell you what, did you see that Christian over there? They got a cross around their neck. That means we can correct them. <laughs> we better go take care of that. Did you hear the way he was talking to her? We better go fix that. No, 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 no. That's not what he's saying. Brothers and sisters, between the two of you, implying you have a meaningful relationship with that individual. And then if you do have a meaningful relationship with that individual, it's up to you to help them and guide them back on the path. The next thing is, is he says, but if they will not listen, because some of y'all know those people, right? Take one or two others along so that every manner may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And this is not you're ganging up on them. This is you're coming in love with your brothers and sisters and you're saying, hey, we have seen and we've noticed, we've paid attention to, it's come to our attention, right? You're coming and you're not saying, hey, sit down, look here. You are in sin and you need to stop it. That's not what you're doing. The point is to restore gently. You go to your brother and sister and you say, hey, look, this is what's up. This behavior is not good for you. And then he says, if they still refuse to listen, Tell it to the church, okay? Now, this is not, you're going to get a microphone, come up here on Sunday and tell everybody their problems, okay? That ain't it. What this means, and this was at the time when they had smaller churches, their churches, really, it's called the gathering. Ecclesia was the word. Church is a, is a poor translation from a German word, uh, from Greek to German, and it's how we got the word church. But it's really a gathering of people is what he says. So we, we play that out, and we go, it goes to the leadership of the church. It goes to the leadership of the church. That means it goes to the small group leader. It goes to the, to the, to the serving team leader. In some cases, in few, few cases, it comes to me, but it probably doesn't need to be me, hardly ever, or members of the board, but it can be. You take it to the official leadership of the church. But then even if they don't, even if they don't, and they say, no, 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 it's not a sin, I don't care, they're making excuses, they're just like, nah, I'm not interested in it. Because remember, it's a journey, so if somebody just doesn't know and they need some help on the journey, you help them on the journey. But if somebody's refusing all help, refusing all guidance, and they are obviously not behaving in a Christ-like manner, and they don't care to hear it, and they're not interested in your opinion on it, 
or the opinion of uh, two or three, or the opinion or interpretation of the scriptures from leadership in the church. Then the next thing that Jesus says is disheartening. He says, and if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now that doesn't mean that you kick them completely out of the church. Sometimes that has to happen. Those are incredibly rare situations and incredibly destructive individuals because the unity of the church is one of the most sacred and important things that Jesus talks about and the Apostle Paul and Peter and John all talk about in the New Testament. So there are situations in which an individual would be removed by, this, by the board of this church. But I'm telling you, 99,000 times out of the other number I'm too not intelligent enough to figure out, it's not going to work that way. It just doesn't. Most of the time, it handles it the first time, right? It's a first level. That's why Jesus started it first. You come up and you go, hey, bro, stop it. Hey, hey, girl, come on. You know better than that. You, you shouldn't be treating him that way. You shouldn't be treating her that way. You've allowed this in your heart. Come on, you know better. And there are most people, most people, especially in this church, because you guys are so humble, you're going to sit back and go, yeah, you know what? I am. You know what? I did. And I'm going to fix that. But there are things in place to, to fix that. Now, I want to pay attention here where it says, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. It simply means you redefine the relationship. You redefine the relationship. Let me give you an extreme example so that we're all on the same page. Say I have a, we, there's a, I'm a churchgoer or whatever. And I got a friend in the church. A guy, and he's cheating on his wife. But he's still part of a small group, and he still comes to the church. Uh, and, you know, you know it's bothering her, but she hasn't really, she's confronted him about it, and that their relationship just doesn't work the way that you think it should. So what the first thing that should happen, as his friend, I'm going to go, and I'm going to say, bro, stop it, and try not to hit him in the mouth, okay? But I'm going to say, stop it. That's not smart. You're going to hurt somebody. You're going to hurt yourself. You're going to hurt your family. Think about, I'm going to go and I'm going to talk to him because the relation, again, it implies a relationship, a relationship between the two of us. Then if that doesn't work, I'm going to go because say he's on a serving team. I'm going to grab some friends from the serving team or grab some small group, uh, some friends from the small group. And I'm going to say, hey, we got to talk to him. He's doing, he's doing some, some stuff here and we need, to, we need to handle it. We're going to go, we're going to sit down and talk with him say, hey, man, this is what's up. And he makes excuses, and he's not interested, and he doesn't care, and everything else. Like, all right, cool. But he's still claiming Christ, saying he's a Christian, refusing what Jesus has called us to do, and refusing the terms. So then the next thing is we say, okay, well, we need to get the church involved. We're going to take it to the leader, the small group leader, the A-team leader, maybe even to the pastor. And we sit down and do the same thing, show them in the scriptures, hey, this is wrong here, this is how it's got to be handled, this is what we should do, yada, yada, yada. And they sit back and go, I'm not interested. I'm not going to do that. I don't think it's a sin. And you're like, but it's a sin right here. And they say, I don't think it's a sin. And they say things like, it's my truth and stuff like that. And then before you know it, you've come to this place where the relationship has got to be redefined. It has got to be redefined. And every single situation is going to be a little different. Like I said, for an individual who's destructive, the answer is going to be to leave. 
For individuals who simply need to be put off to a separate section, maybe it's, hey, you can't be a member of the church anymore, you can't come to small group anymore, you can't serve on these teams anymore in this manner. Maybe it changes in different ways because, again, most people are not going, this is, this is very, very rare, so very rare. But I want you to know there's a thing in place in the scriptures on how these situations should be handled when we start talking about Christians and how Christians Christians should behave. Because our problem is, is that we have become so afraid to say anything to our brothers and sisters. We're so afraid of it. We're so afraid of walking away from a situation and looking at them and saying, hey, you treated him so poorly. I mean, you should, that's not what Jesus would have us do. We're afraid of looking to our brothers and sisters and saying, hey, what you're doing with your wife is, you need to treat her better. You need to shift the way you're doing that. We're so afraid in our Christian culture to do those things. And when that happens, when we do that, we ensure that that graph stays true. Because then there's just no guidance. That's what Jesus is talking about. This whole conflict resolution, the first two steps are guidance in the journey. And a hypocritical Christian probably isn't like that on purpose. They're probably like that because they don't know better. Or they know better, but nobody has come up and said, hey, that's not right. You can't do that. Nobody's challenged them on it. Nobody has said, that's not a Christ-like behavior. Get your act in order. Maybe not say it quite like that. But it's not, it's not been one of those things that we've done. And here's the prayer that has to kind of undergird the entire thing, has to be over it, around it, all around it when we begin to start talking about this, because this is such a sensitive subject, and again, if it's done incorrectly, it hurts people. But when it's done correctly and biblically, it may still hurt the individual. It might still hurt them, because at the end of the day, they're not getting what they want. But that's not what we're called or expected to do. We respect and call one another out on these things. But the prayer that has to be around this is, Father, help me see when I'm the hypocrite. Help me see when I'm the hypocrite. When I'm the person, and I pray this often, when I'm the person that's standing up here saying something and then I'm not doing it later. Lord, help me see and surround me with people that will help me ensure that I'm not the hypocrite. In Psalm 51, the psalmist says, Create a, in me a pure heart. Create in me a pure heart. And again, like I said, 99% of these things are going to be handled at the first level. Problem is, we just avoid the first level. We ain't even interested in it. We go, no, 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 that's none of my business. It's like, no, it kind of is. If they have sinned, these are the words of Jesus, then come to them and explain what they have done wrong. But again, the prayer has got to be, Lord, help me see when I'm the hypocrite, because we can all fall in to this place. 
And here, and again, this is why this is so important. If we want those graphs to change, then the church has got to stop acting like the church in here and only in here. Because quite frankly, the reason that we rank that low on all those things with non-believers is because the church is real good about being the church in here. And it's real good about being the church in rows. And it's real good about being the church in their circles when you're in your small groups. And it's real good about being the church when you're serving on a church thing. But the minute that we leave here, we don't act like the church anymore. We don't behave like the church anymore. And that's why we see culture behaving and responding the way that it is. So again, one of the ways we do that, one of the ways we prevent that from happening is that we gently restore a brother or sister in a biblical manner the way Jesus had told us. And let's be honest, culture would be better if we did things this way that there would be more healthy churches if they handled things the way Jesus told us to handle conflict. There would be healthier family dynamics if things were handled that way. It would be healthier Christians all around the world if things were handled that way. To set to go to your brother and sister and restore them gently. And in so doing, just between the two of them, guiding them back on the path. And here's the thing, if you aren't in a group of people that can do that, you don't have any people around you that you've given permission or people that you've looked at and said, hey, give, you're my accountability. I have them. There are pastors in this city and pastors in our network that have the option at any point to come and check me and say, hypocrite, you just preach this, but you just behave this way. And I encourage it and I want it because I know that given to my own devices, I will avoid the difficult. So if you don't have a group of people around you, somehow, serving team, small group, that's why we put so much emphasis on serving teams, is because you get in a group of guys like that or a group of girls like that or a group of people like that and they care for you, and they love you, and they see the way you're behaving, they'll come up and they'll say, hey, that wasn't good. That wasn't it. And I encourage you, if you're not part of one of those things, you should plan to be part of it. Make it a point of emphasis. Make it an effort. Build relationships. Have people in your life that can do that for you, that can come and restore you gently. Because if you don't, if you don't, you will eventually lead yourself down a path of destruction, not only for yourself, but for everybody you interact with. And then we become those red ticks on the graph. Because we don't let anybody speak into us. And we don't let anybody guide us and direct us. God works his will in the world through his church that happens with his gathering of people. So, this week and as we go forward in the end of this year, if you don't have a group of people like that, you should. You should seek it out. You should seek it out here in the church. You should seek it out. If you have a workplace and maybe they even do a Bible study at lunch, you should seek it out. You should seek it out in your school. You should seek out that relationship of accountability where people are around you and they can say, that's not good. Because you'll mess it up. 
I'll mess it up. That's why Christ told us to do that. So, I would love to pray with you before we close. Father, this message is one of those difficult, man, it's so hard because it's uncomfortable and it, you know, we kind of just want to mind our own business. You know, we sit back and say, well, what business is it of mine if they do that? It's not my business if he does that. It's not my business if she does that. And to some degree, that may be true in the secular world, but when it comes to your people, you're very clear it, it, it is what we should do. And Lord, I pray that when we see those moments, we would prayerfully move forward in that uncomfortable place of confronting our brothers and our sisters. That we would prayerfully move forward and your Holy Spirit would be guiding us every step of the way that we would prayerfully move forward, hear your voice, and gently restore our brothers and sisters, gently guide them and nudge them into a better place with you. We don't want to do it because of us. We want to do it to get them closer to you and be more like you. So, Father, we pray today that your Spirit guides us he would direct us and show us different areas that maybe we are hypocrites. Check our spirit, Lord, when we're being the hypocrite, when we're being the one making excuses for things we know better than to do, when we're the ones justifying things we know better than to do. Help us become more like you and treat one another the way you treated us by giving everything up for us. So, Father, we love you. We give you all of the praise. And it's in Jesus' name the church said, amen.